you have your Bibles or a copy of some sort of God's Word, Luke 19. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Kind of continue on sort of where we left off uh, last week, continuing our series. Um, so here's, I'm going to start off, um, if you have a background in church, specifically if you grew up in church, there are some things, specifically some songs, that are just ingrained in your head that you couldn't get them out if you tried. And so um, we're going to go a trip down memory lane here, if you're ready. If you didn't grow up in church, just humor us for a second. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Um, anyways, let's do this. See if, I want to see if you guys remember any of these songs, all right? What about this one? I am a C. I am a C-H. You guys know it. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. There you go. If you guys know that song, it probably means that you have, uh, say, how'd the rest of it go? C-H-R-I-S-T in your H-E-A-R-T and you will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y. If you need a pen, you can write that down and go decode it later, okay? Um, what about this one? By the way, I'm not singing any of these, but his banner over me is love, which... That song in particular, if you, that's a reference to a verse in Song of Solomon, which if you zoom out the whole context of Song of Solomon, a little weird that we taught our kids that, that song, but nevertheless, all right? Some of you guys will be reading Song of Solomon this afternoon, okay? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. There we go, right arm. But arguably, the all-time greatest in church, uh, children's church or Sunday school songs is Zacchaeus was a wee little man. There you go. See, we all know it. Uh, if you don't know any of those because you don't have a background in church, uh, thank you for humoring us. And you're like, these are weird people. You don't even know. Like, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We are far stranger than you know. Um, anyways, Luke 19 is where we're going to be. I'm going to read the first 10 verses as we read about Zacchaeus, the wee little man. All right? Starting in verse 1. It says, He, that's Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. Uh, paraphrase, wee little man. Okay? Uh, so he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that's the crowd, they all grumbled and said, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also, also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost." So what's going on here is um, Jesus is still on his way to Jerusalem, uh, where he would ultimately be betrayed, arrested, crucified. He's continuing on that journey. 
Actually, it's later in Luke 19 is where uh, he makes his triumphal entry on Palm Sunday into the city of Jerusalem. By the way, uh, Palm Sunday here is going to be awesome because, spoiler alert, we're going to be baptizing some people. So just so you know. Okay. All right. So you have that to look forward to. But anyways, uh, where we pick up the story is Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem uh, and he's entered the city of Jericho. If you remember last week, he was kind of on the outs- outskirts. He healed a blind man right outside the city. Well, now Jesus has gone into Jericho. And uh, right away, we're introduced to the, sort of the, the central character, a central character. Right? Jesus is always a central character, but another central character in the story. And it's Zacchaeus. All right, uh, Zacchaeus, uh, one of the things that I found interesting this week is the name Zacchaeus. Like It has a very specific meaning in the original Hebrew language. If you look it up, it, it can literally be translated as "we little man." I'm just that's not true at all. I'm just kidding. Right? <laughs> totally guessed. Some of you guys are like, "Wow, that's fascinating." Um, no, but it, it, the Hebrew name does have uh, it, it does mean something in Hebrew. Right? It means pure or righteous. Which, if you know Zacchaeus's uh, character, at least as we're introduced to him, like he is anything but. Right? He's anything but pure or righteous. Here's how Luke introduces Zacchaeus. Right? He says he's a chief tax collector and he was rich. Right? Now, to unpack that a little bit, um, being a tax collector was, was not a popular profession in sort of first century uh, Jerusalem. Right? Because uh, there's several reasons. Right? The, the first was, one, nobody wants to pay taxes. Hey, that hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Okay? Uh, nobody wanted to pay taxes. So the fact that this guy's job was to collect taxes, right, his face is the face associated with the paying of taxes. Well, he's already, like, he's already starting off at a disadvantage, right? So we've got, he's a tax collector, but not only is he a uh, tax collector, uh, but, but to be a tax collector at, at that time... Um, Zacchaeus was a Jewish man that was employed by the Roman government, right? The Roman government was this uh, oppressive governmental force. And so for Zacchaeus to be a tax collector with the Roman government was to be viewed as a traitor, right? Zacchaeus has turned his back on his Jewish people, so they believed, and he's collecting taxes for this oppressive Roman government, right? In, in a sense, he's, he's aiding He's an accomplice to their oppression, right? So things are not looking great for Zacchaeus. And then if if all that weren't enough, um, it it was common knowledge that that tax collectors were essentially thieves, right? Because what they did was they they would request a little more than what was actually required by Roman law, skim that off the top, put it in their own pockets, and then ship the rest on out to the Roman government. So... So not only is he a tax collector, not only is he working for the oppressive Roman government, but he's stealing from his own people to fill his pockets. Right? That's Zacchaeus. And, and you put all that together, and it's no surprise. Like When you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, you'll read several times people grouping tax collectors and sinners together. Right? When, when people, uh, some of the crowds or some of the religiously Elites, like whenever they condemn Jesus for what he's doing, they always talk about him hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And that's because those two groups of people were sort of 
grouped together as this despised, rejected group of people, the tax collectors and sinners. And then not only that, we're told that he was a chief tax collector, which sounds like, okay, maybe this guy is, uh, he's, he's got a good resume, he's got, like, he's good at his job. And really, to be good at his job, all that meant was he was just really good at stealing money from people. Right? He'd, he'd become rich doing it. Right? So you, you boil it all down. Here's Zacchaeus, whose name means pure and righteous. Right? Zacchaeus is uh, basically a rich sinner. That's what we know about Zacchaeus. And if you remember from a couple weeks ago when we looked at the story of the, the rich young ruler, if you remember that, you remember Jesus uh, is teaching his disciples and he says it's, it's harder uh, or it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So how much difficult would it be for a rich crook, a rich thief, 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 to enter, it was not plural, thief to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? So uh, like if, if there were a case study of people who are unlikely to enter the kingdom of heaven, Zacchaeus is exhibit A, right? That's how we're introduced to Zacchaeus. But Luke goes on to tell us that um, not only is he, not only is Zacchaeus kind of a, a sinner, but he's also a seeker. Because what we see in verse 3 is that uh, Zacchaeus says he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Right? Maybe he had heard about Jesus healing the blind man just right outside the city gates. Maybe he had uh, heard about some of the other miracles and, and wonders and signs that Jesus had performed. Maybe Zacchaeus had like a, a growing sense of guilt for his own sin right, against his people. Maybe he was feeling some guilt and shame about that. And so he heard that this guy that's about to come through is, is like pronounces the forgiveness of sins. We don't know why Zacchaeus is seeking. We just know that he's seeking. And so what we, we see that he's, he's trying to uh, see Jesus, but he can't. Right? And there's this interesting parallel between uh, Zacchaeus' story this week and the blind man outside the city last week. is They're both trying to see Jesus, but, but neither one of them can. And it's because of physical, uh, physical things that keep them from seeing Jesus. Right? The, the blind man, physically blind, could not see Jesus. you got Zacchaeus, who uh, is, is he's a wee little man. Right? He's too short to see Jesus. And you got this other interesting parallel where there's crowds in both cases. And both the crowds, in one way or another, are almost preventing these people from interacting with Jesus. Right? Last week, the blind man, the crowd was there. Uh, they're telling the, the blind man's calling out to Jesus and the crowd is saying, hey, quiet. Right? They rebuke him. They try and push him to the back. And then this crowd, uh, right, Zacchaeus is trying to, to weave his way in to see Jesus, but he can't because he's short and the crowd's in the way. Right? My guess is they see Zacchaeus come and they don't like this guy anyways. They're not making any room for him. Okay, So we got Zacchaeus is seeking to see Jesus, but, uh, but he, he couldn't. Right? So he devises Another plan. And he's going to go climb a tree. Right? He, uh, like the, the, the blind man was persistent last week, crying out to Jesus, calling out to Jesus. He wouldn't be stopped. Zacchaeus, in his own way, is persistent. And, and so he's going to go devise this plan. He's like, okay, I'm too short. Can't get through the crowd. Climbing up in the tree. Right? And that would have been an extremely like, undignified act for a man uh, like Zacchaeus. That's, that's 
kind of still true today, right? Climbing trees is what kids do. If you're walking down the street and you see a kid in a tree watching you, you're like, oh, that's cute. You walk down the street and see a grown man watching you from a tree, you're calling the police, right? <laughs> so this was like a, an extremely undignified act for this guy, and he, but he climbs up in the tree and um, here's, maybe this is me reading too much into it. I, I acknowledge that, so I'll put this aside. But it's almost like Zacchaeus is like starting to exhibit some of this childlike faith that, that Jesus commends in Luke 18. Right? Zacchaeus is so desperate to see Jesus that he's just like, I'll become undignified. I don't care. I'll climb the tree to see what's going on. Right? It's like the beginnings of this childlike faith. Again, I, I don't know. Maybe that's me reading too much into it, but there it is. All right. So not only is uh, Zacchaeus a sinner, not only is Zacchaeus seeking, but we also see that Jesus is seeking Zacchaeus. Right, here's what it says in verse 5. Right? When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. All right, interesting enough, Zacchaeus, or Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. Again, because remember, Jesus knows this stuff. He answers people's questions that they don't ask. Right? He asks questions that he already knows the answer to. He already knows Zacchaeus' name. He says, Zacchaeus, uh, come down, gives him clear directions, uh, and then he, he schedules this meeting. Right? I'm, I must come to your house today. It's not a, I'd like to. It's not a, could you make some time for me? Could you rearrange your schedule? Right? It's, I must come to your house today. And you begin to get this sense that uh, this is not just a coincidental meeting. Right? This is a, a divine appointment. Right? Jesus is here on purpose. And so, verse 6, right? apparently Jesus is, is re- or Zacchaeus is ready for this Appointment, verse 6 says that he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And so Jesus calls. Zacchaeus responds. He responds immediately, hurried and came down, but he also responds joyfully. Right? He's, man, he's excited that Jesus is coming to his house today. And, it, and it's beginning to become increasingly clear that like, something is going on down inside Zacchaeus' wee little heart. Right? I just got a vision of the Grinch in my head in that moment right there. His, heart, his heart's growing. Um, if you guys don't remember anything else today, you'll remember that. Right? Something's going on in Zacchaeus' heart. He, he responds immediately. He responds joyfully. Right? But, but contrast that, this immediate joyful obedience by Zacchaeus, and then I want you to look at the crowd in verse 7. Right? It says, And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So uh, the, the crowd earlier, right, they're trying to kind of keep Zacchaeus at bay. Well, Zacchaeus gets a, uh, an appointment with Jesus. And so as they stand outside and, and watch what's going on here, it says they, they grumble. Right? They cannot believe what's happening. And this is culturally significant, right? Because in that day to welcome someone into your home, like that's a big deal. I think it's still a big deal, but uh, I, I had more in my notes to kind of go off on a tangent here, but I speak too long anyways, and so I'm not going to do that this morning. But, uh, but this is a culturally significant 
thing for Jesus or for Zacchaeus to for Jesus to go into Zacchaeus's home because to, to go into someone's home at this day and time was to right that's a place where relationships were built uh, where they're strengthened it's to associate yourself with this person and so Jesus who's claiming to be uh, the Son of God uh, even, even those who didn't think he was the Son of God still recognize that he was at least a uh, a good teacher like he's a, he's a good moral teacher. Like, they can't believe that he would associate himself with a sinner like Zacchaeus. Right? This was scandalous for Jesus to go into the house of a man who is a traitor, who is a thief, right? robbing his fellow Jews to kind of aid in Rome's oppression. Right? It would have been inconceivable that, that any Jewish person would go in and hang out with this guy. But then Jesus shows up on the scene, and that's exactly what he does. Right? This, is what, this is what Jesus does. Despite, despite Zacchaeus' reputation, uh, despite his long history of uh, sin and deception, like Jesus moves toward Zacchaeus. Right? This is what Jesus always does. Right? He moves towards the sinful and the broken. Right? This is what Jesus does. So, Jesus joins Zacchaeus in his home. We don't get a full picture of what happens. We don't know if they shared a meal. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. We don't know uh, the, the full extent of their conversation. If there was one, maybe there wasn't one. Right? Maybe Jesus' presence enough changed Zacchaeus' heart. We don't know what Jesus said or didn't say, or what he did or didn't do. But what we do know is how Zacchaeus responds in verse 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything. Now, he, he knows he's defrauded people, right? If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What we see in Zacchaeus' response is, is evidence of you know, a transformed heart. Right? There's... There's something that happened inside Zacchaeus' home. Again, the full extent of which we don't even know. But something happened that changed Zacchaeus' heart. Uh, to, to use sort of biblical language, like what we see here in Zacchaeus' response is like the fruit of repentance. Right? There's, uh, he's acknowledged, like before he was marked by greed, right? he's trying to skim off the top of his own people to fill his own pockets. And right? he's, he's aiding in the... Uh, the oppression of his people just to kind of increase his bank account. What, what he was before was marked by greed and now he's marked by generosity, like willing to give up like half of his belongings to the poor. And again, you, one of the things I love is to see these themes that, uh, that the authors kind of trace through their, their books. And Luke, you remember the rich young ruler a couple of weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, right? Jesus said to him, one thing you lack, right? sell all your stuff, distribute it to the poor. And what did he do? Nope. Right, he held on to it. And he walked away sad. And yet here, as far as we know, we don't know if Jesus told him to do that or not, but we just see his heart is one of, okay, I'll give it all up. Right, I'll, 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 pay it, I'll pay it back. I'll give it, half it up to the poor. He's marked by um, generosity. But then we also see not only is he marked by generosity, but all of a sudden there's this desire for restitution and reconciliation. 
Uh, not only is he going to give half his stuff to the poor, but he says, if I have defrauded anyone, and he certainly had, he's like, I will repay it fourfold. Now, what's interesting is if you look at sort of the, uh, you can read this back in Leviticus if you love to read Leviticus in your free time. Um, you can see back in the, uh, the law that the payment for this, like for, for Zacchaeus to be uh, confronted with his basically stealing, defrauding someone of something, the law would have said you pay back what you took and then a fifth, add a fifth to it, 20% increase, right? So that's what was required by law. But Zacchaeus says, if I've defrauded anyone, I'll pay back four times as much as I've defrauded them. So a couple of things. Zacchaeus has some deep pockets. Right? He must have been a really good tax collector. Right? But, but we also see it's just like genuine contrition. I have wronged these people. I've sinned against them. I've defrauded them. I want to make it right to the point where he pays back four times as much what he's defrauded. I mean, you think back a career that Zacchaeus has made of doing this to who knows how many people that he's defrauded. Like, man, brother ain't going to have anything left when he's done, right? And I think that's the point. I think that's the point. I think in this, what we see is that Zacchaeus was willing to give away everything that he had wrongly earned, wrongly received. He's willing to give away everything because he had finally received the only thing that he really needed. All right, that's what we see in, in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. Right? Zacchaeus is willing to give it all away because he's, he's finally received the one thing, the only thing that could satisfy his soul. Salvation had come to his house. Right? I mean, this is, again, this is scandalous that Jesus would, would say to a tax collector, a sinner, a thief, an accomplice to Roman oppression, that Jesus would say, this guy has received salvation. That's a shocking statement in its context. Salvation had come to the house of a sinner. Is what Jesus is saying. And, and, and just so we're clear, like salvation did not come because Zacchaeus was willing to give away half his stuff to the poor, because he was willing to make restitution and reconciliation for where he like. Salvation didn't come because Zacchaeus did those things. Salvation, like those things are evidence of salvation. Salvation came to Zacchaeus' house because Jesus came to Zacchaeus' house. That's where salvation came from. And, And we see that in verse 10. For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. It's not Zacchaeus' obedience that saves him. It's not Zacchaeus' generosity that saves him. It's not his restitution that saves him. It's Jesus that saves Zacchaeus. It's Jesus that saves Zacchaeus because Jesus seeks and saves the lost. That, That phrase, that Jesus has come, the Son of Man has come, to seek and save the lost... That's all throughout the Gospels because that's what Jesus came to do, is to seek and save the lost. Right? Jesus is not 
passive. He comes to seek. And if you're, you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus is seeking you like now. He's not passive. But he also comes to seek and save the lost. Right? Jesus didn't come to save people who were mostly good and just need a little boost to get over the edge. Because those people don't exist. Apart from Jesus, we're all hopeless. Apart from Jesus, we're all Zacchaeus. But anyways, more on that in just a minute. Here's kind of where I want to let the text sort of draw out some things for us to ponder on, respond on this morning. All right, here's the, the first thing is maybe you're here and you can identify with Zacchaeus more closely than you wish you could. What I mean by that is maybe... Uh, there are things you've, you've done, awful, terrible, sinful things. Maybe you've stolen, maybe you've defrauded. Uh, maybe you've, there's things you're not proud of, things you wish you could take back, things that were they to be displayed on these screens back here, like you would be mortified, never show your face in public again. Right? Maybe, that's, maybe that's you. You've sinned against other people, and, and more importantly, you've sinned against a holy God. But here's the point of Zacchaeus' story. Right? That, that regardless of what those things are that might come to your mind right now, you are never too lost to be found. Right? You're never so far gone that you can't be saved. Right? You're never so far gone you can't be You're never too far gone to experience the transforming mercy and grace that's made available to you through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're never too far gone. And if I could say it another way, right? you cannot out the cross of Jesus Christ. And praise God, that's good news. Because some of us have tried, right? And you can't do it. You can't do it. So if you're here this morning and you're, you're not a Christian, you've never placed your trust in Jesus, and maybe it's, I say this often, maybe there's just something in you that's like, I've got to get things fixed first. I just want to love you enough to say, No, you don't. Now, I do want to love you enough to say you are lost apart from Jesus. But you're not totally without hope because we have a living hope. So we just sing about. You're you're not so far gone that you can't be saved. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He did it 2,000 years ago here in the city of Jericho. He's still doing it 2,000 years later all around the world. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But I also want to talk to what I think are probably more of us in here. Uh, Those of us that have placed our trust in Jesus. Those of us that maybe we can think back to the time when we first believed. Or maybe it was a long process for some of us. Uh, But but we know, like we were believers, we're Christians, maybe not as far along as we want to be or as strong as we want to be, but... But we know that's our identity, is in Christ. And here's, here's where I think this text presses on us a little bit. Is that if we're not careful, uh, if, if we're not careful, the temptation for us is to, to join in with the crowd. To look at uh, the people that we don't think deserve it. People that are different. People that have brokenness. People whose lives are a mess people who can't get it all together, 
our temptation is to look at those people and think that somehow, because of their past or because of their present, that they're, for some reason, beyond saving. That's the temptation that we face. And, and to that, here's what I want to read. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screens. But let me read you Paul's words here. He said, he's, this is Paul writing to believers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, no men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I won't make you raise your hand, but anybody spot yourself on that list? Anybody spot yourself there a couple times? And if that's where it ended, like, well, that's bad news. I can identify myself on that list. I will not inherit the kingdom of God. But look at verse 11. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. Some of you were uh, unrighteous. You were the sexually immoral. You were idolaters. You were adulterers. You were homosexuals. You were thieves. You were greedy. You were drunkards. You were revilers. You were swindlers. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Here's one of, I think, one of my worries is for, for those of you who've been following Jesus for a long time, is there's this, uh, I can't remember if it was business school where I learned it, I, I don't remember where I learned it, but there's this sort of this uh, idea that, that time in something decreases your awareness of things sort of related to that. Like the longer you're in an organization, right, over time, you, the, your, your propensity to acknowledge things that are not right within that organization, like they just, Decrease. And where I'm going with that is I think if we're not careful sometimes, like the longer we are believers, the longer we're Christians, like the awareness of our own sin and brokenness of our, our past and even our present, like we just fail to see it. And I think what the story of Zacchaeus reminds us, what this text that we just read reminds us that, man, we need to be diligent to remember who we were. So that, not to hang out there and stay there and like live in that identity. But I think we need to be diligent to remember where we were specifically so that we know where Jesus has brought us to. Like we need to remember sometimes like the brokenness that, that we lived in, the sin that we lived in, so that man, the good news of Jesus would be that much more good news to us. But then also so that we wouldn't become the crowd that looks at the other people and says, I don't know about those people. I can't believe that Jesus would draw near to that person. And because, man, we were all Zacchaeus. Right? The, if we're not careful, it's easy to distinguish ourselves from uh, what we consider those people. Whatever that looks like for you. Addicts, adulterers, atheists. Thieves, murderers, Republicans, Democrats, rich, poor, black, white. Like, if we're not careful, all of us in here can kind of think of that group of people that 
we just cannot imagine how Jesus would ever draw near to them. And the story of Zacchaeus reminds us that Jesus draws near to seek and to save the lost in all forms and facets of life. Because that's what Jesus does. To quote Billy Graham, it's never bad if you quote Billy Graham, right? To quote Billy Graham, the, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There, there is no room, there is no place for spiritual arrogance at the feet of a crucified Savior. There's just none. Because you and I, if we're believers, we're dead in our sins, our trespasses, but God made us alive in Christ. We were lost, and now we're found. And we didn't find us. Have you ever played hide and seek with yourself? It didn't work. We didn't find like God found us in our brokenness, in our sin. And that's the good news of the gospel. And so far be it from us to ever, to ever think that those people are beyond saving. And I love the way that um, Isaiah sums it up in Chapter 59, verse 1, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. There is no one on this earth that God could not reach down and save. There's no one too far gone. There's no one too broken. There's no one too sinful. There's no one too lost to be found. So no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, No matter who you've cheated, no matter how lost you are, there is hope for all people because Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we are thankful. Um, Lord, those of us here that can say that we are Believers, that we are saved, that we've put our trust in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of our sin and the hope of eternal life. One, we say thank you for seeking us and for saving us. Lord, we know there's nothing nothing in us that made us worthy to be saved, but you in your grace and mercy, Lord, you sought us, you saved us, you redeemed us, You, you called us. So we thank you for that. And I pray that, um, Lord, that for those of us, that that's our story, that's our testimony, that we would, we would never lose sight of what you saved us from. That, Lord, I pray we'd never lose sight of that so that, so that we're not tempted to look at those people, uh, that type of person, that demographic, and ever say they're beyond saving. Father, you sent Jesus to seek and save the lost. And we were all there. So we thank you that you loved us enough to to send Jesus to the cross for us. And Lord, help us to be a people marked by grace and mercy and compassion towards all people. Because your arm is not shortened that it cannot save. So Lord, we, we pray to that end, those that are Far from you, we pray that, um, Lord, that you would reach them. Those whose hearts are, are hard and, and seem unpenetrable, we 
Pray that you would penetrate those hearts. Father, maybe there's, maybe there's some here in this morning that maybe they identify more with Zacchaeus now in this state. Maybe they're aware of, of, of their sin, aware of their brokenness, aware of, of maybe a, a life that's been spent in sin and rebellion against people and against the holy God, and I pray that you would convict them of that. And I pray that they would not feel that they are so far gone that they cannot receive the grace and mercy that's made available through Jesus. I pray that you would draw them to yourself this morning, that they would respond in obedience to the offer of salvation that you extend to them. So, Father, we love you. We praise you for Jesus, for the good news of the gospel. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.